0: Bhūma jñānat miranda syāgyanāṁ militam chākṣadunmilitāṁ jena tashmai śrīguravēnāṁ Nāma śrīshtam manumāpī satchipūtraṁ atrasya rūpam rūpam taśyāgra jama rūparim Rādhā kundraṁ girivarāṁ maho Raptu yasya pratita gripaya shri gurum tamnatushni. Vanchakalpataru yasya gripasandu yayvacham. Patita nam pava nepio vishnavibyanamonam. Nikila shrati moliratnamaladiyati. Nirajita patapankajanta. Aji muktakulayrupasya manam paritashtam. Hadinam samsriyami. Hello, Dunita Kidaya, Bishadaya, Pranmi Lada Modaya, Samyakshastra Vibhadaya, Sadadaya, Chitarpitan Bhakti Vinodaya, Madhurya Maryadaya Sri Chaitanya Daya, daya, daya Buyadamandodaya, Ajahnulambita sankirtana kapitaro kavitaro kamalaya tatsh vishvamvaro dvayavaro palu mande jagat priyakaro krito kadunah utanu nilam muditate khepanvitam bandhavam shri madhvagavati katham sanjeevayam bhatiya Śrīmad-bhāgavatam śadāśvanāyana āśrupāyana āpūjayaṁ Goswami pravarogadā dharavibhōr bhuyaadma dekatgati Rāśa-ghana-muhāna-murtim vichintra-kilimahautsavolashitam Rādhā-charana-viloditam ruchira-śrikhandam harimbande Vrindāva tabai vapadara bindam, primam rithai kamakarundara sokha purnam, ridyarapitamadupateshmaratapamogram, nirvapayat paramasita lamasrayami. Bhaktya bihinaya paradhalakshaya, kiptashta kamadhi tarangamadhyaya. (laughs) Sri Pammaitwam, SHARANAM Prapanam, Brinde, Mustay, Shadanada Bindam, Brinde, Mustay, Shadanada Bindam, Sri Sachinandan, God SHRI Jai, Sri Sri Gornitinandi, Jai, Sri Hari Nam Sankirtan, Ki, Jai, Sri Mayapur Damki, Jai, God Bhakta Brindhi, Jai, God Primanand, Hari 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 so pranam to all of you welcome thanks so much for your presence your association thanks so much for the invitation also here at the feet of sri mitai very unique ecstatic expression of them very interesting i like it (laughs) so as uh sudevi sundari mentioned today our main topic will be one, basically called belonging or fitting in, uh, which is one of the main themes in my my recent book called Radical Personalism. Which, just to put the, the whole thing in context, for me, radical personalism means well we are personalists, but what does it mean to be personalists? To its very root to its very depths because radical means something to its very root. Radical comes from radix in Latin which means root. So to go to the root of something or in other words to go to the depths of something. One thing is what we see on the surface and another thing is what, what's existing on the invisible depths. Now we are invited to inhabit those depths. Mahaprabhu's Dispensation and gift has a breadth, but also has a depth. Here's an ocean of depth. As we know in our tradition, this analogy is always there. You want to find the most valuable jewels, you have to go to the bottom end of the ocean. On the surface, you can find something, salty water and some other things, some plastic bags that someone threw. (laughs) Nowadays, the analogy will play out in that way. But if you want to find, <clears throat> if you will, valuable precious jewels, you have to go deep. And the deeper you go, the darker it gets also. So you have to go there with a special light so you can coexist with darkness <laughs> and find those jewels that bring forth their own light, so to say. So for me, radical personalism is this, to go to the depths of things, to inhabit not the, not only the surface of Krishna consciousness let's say but be willing to explore to to engage in this what I like to call excavation project you know? <laughs> let's excavate the unlimited layers of profundity that this ocean called Krishna consciousness has you know? or if you want to use Rupa Goswami's expression Bhakti rasamrita Sindhu you know? that's not just a book that's the title of a book but also it's a, it's a it's a way of referring to t- what we are trying to do we are invited to swim deeply into an ocean of Bhakti Rasa
1: mm-hmm.
0: so or to go to the roots again radical means also roots so roots generally you see a tree you don't see the roots but we shouldn't forget the roots are there and the roots are so crucial without roots you have no tree Mahaprabhu said we should be like a tree mm-hmm. Tarori basa Vishnu na. And of course tolerant like a tree but the tree cannot be tolerant if it's not rounded and well rooted also you know? so the rootedness of the tree also allow the tree to be a guru for us a guru for mahaprabhu even. You know? so which are our roots which are the roots of our tradition and how far do, do they extend you know? how much we're w- willing to explore into into those directions so radical personalism basically means that you now let's explore the reach, breadth, and depth of Gaudiya vaishnavism of Krishna Consciousness. And of course, there is no limit to that exploration. It's not that one day we will reach, okay, this is all that Krishna Consciousness is. I reached the final limit. Immediately we cancel you out of the exploration if you say that, because this is an unending excavation, exploration project. So... That said, today again, we would like to con- concentrate on one of these roots and <laughs> limited roots uh, that I like to frame with these two words belonging and fitting in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, in the beginning of my book, I start by clarifying this book is just an attempt in figuring out how we can belong to Krishna consciousness and not merely fit in. How can be a deep part of that? A little bit in connection to some personal experience, experiences that I have gone through the last years. I won't torture you with my unauthorized biography here, but <laughs> situation that not only happened to me, but happened to many of us in different ways, and invite us to think: how can I continue being a devotee uh, for the right reasons, basically? <laughs> Because it's not enough that we remain as devotees, but that we remain for the right reasons. No. Not that we stay as Vaishnavs for the wrong reasons. That, that's, that was not the original plan. No. That's not the idea of Mahaprabhu. That you just keep externally like a number, one more number, but without the proper reasons, but without the proper motivation. That's not the idea. And of course, the idea is not also to live. So the question is how to stay forever. <laughs> Not only for a few years, for one lifetime, but for eternity, uh, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can belong again, and not merely fitting in. And for that, I'd like to introduce an, an analogy that I like to use today. I use one of the, one ingredient of this analogy in my book, and it's also a play of words. And it's an analogy of a how do you say in English this? Uh, how do you pronounce it? Bouquet. When you present like huh, a bouquet of flowers, so bouquet on one side, on another side bonsai. Do You know what's a bonsai? These miniature trees. So I like to bring use that analogy to refer to belonging and fitting in. Belonging is a bouquet, a beautiful flower offering, and bon- fitting in is a bonsai. So bonsai means something. That is growing, but it's not growing as it should be growing. No? It's constrained. No? It, it, it's, it's a, as, I, as I mentioned, my book is a miniature version of a potential giant. <laughs> right? So all of us in potential are giants. And giants, I'm not saying that in, in ego terms, but the potential of the soul is Unlimited but we can prune that potential excessively and just become a bonsai version of ourselves. (laughs) You follow? Still the bonsai is growing, but not growing as much as it could grow. Mm -hmm. So that I will connect that analogy. So keep the the two symbols in mind with merely fitting in bonsai version of ourselves, belonging, making of our life a bouquet, Mm -hmm. flower offering. To Krishna Krishna says patram push patram, offer, offer me one flower but yo bhakti with love and devotion so if we just if we can become not even a bouquet we can just become one flower in the bouquet <laughs> and we can be part of that offering that's enough but for that we will need to belong. So I, I like to make this clear belonging and fitting in that do not mean the same. And I say that because sometimes we may use the two words interchangeably. We will use one word to refer to what the other word means. Like, I was just trying to belong. And probably not, you were trying to fit in. (laughs) But the fact that we confuse the two words, it becomes a big problem. Because many times, instead of looking to belong, we end up trying to fit in. And even if you get to fit in, that's not the same as belonging. And our heart needs belonging. Mm-hmm. Fit in is more like an, an ego thing, so to say. Appearance appearances thing. Belonging is being who we are, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, like, to put it in another words, fitting in demands that you stop being who you are so you can be accepted and you fit in. But you have to stop being who you are and become mm-hmm. something else. So you can somehow fit into the puzzle or whatever. And belonging demands that you remain being who you are. So to know that you are already accepted, basically. <laughs> belonging that doesn't need that you remain who you are, so you, belong. you already belong, but you will never realize that you belong unless you are willing to be yourself. And not forcing ourselves to be someone we cannot be, basically. <clears throat> so that's the contrast between true belonging and fitting in. <clears throat> true belonging doesn't require that we change who we are. True belonging requires that we are who we are, basically. And that's not an easy task. I don't want to I, I will never use the word easy in all my lecture today, just in case. I will never use the word impossible either. As we say the other day, we will we'll just use the middle world between easy and impossible, which is difficult. <laughs> so it's difficult, but it's not impossible. And of course it's not easy, but it's not impossible. <laughs> so belonging means that belonging means I don't need to change who I am. And one says, Oh, such a relief. But I need to be who I am. And sometimes that may not be so easy in the beginning. Uh, and an important point in my opinion that will help us to be okay being who we are and who we are both in terms of of course in one sense I am a spirit soul (laughs) so I should be okay with that fact hopefully (laughs) there is not ontological problems with us being a soul that should be a matter of celebration we are soul and Krishna says in the Gita the soul is wonderful you are wonderful I imagine such a divine flattery that is coming from God. Three times he uses the word as in in that same verse of the Gita, as we said the other day. When Krishna has to say what the soul is, he starts saying what the soul is not. It cannot die, it cannot be killed, it cannot be dried, it cannot be this. When he has to say something positive about who we are as souls, he just has one word in mind and he cannot but repeat it three times. As about as about as about you are wonderful. You are wonderful. You are wonderful. That's what Krishna is telling each one of us. <laughs> so that should be humbling and moving. So in that sense, it's not difficult to be who we are because we are wonderful. <laughs> in Krishna's eyes, that's his generosity again—not as an excuse to become arrogant. <laughs> But also, at the same time, in our particular condition, in general, uh, we are not so much aware of the wonderfulness of the soul. And due to that, the destruction of that fact, a few not so wonderful things uh, <laughs> are coming to our lives. And in that sense, we may be in a pretty messy situation. But my point is, even in our messiness, true belonging means you already belong with all your messiness included, according to how Krishna is saying us. And that's a very important point for us to enter into this space of I can belong to Krishna consciousness. I can belong. Krishna is already <clears throat> accepting us for who we are. That's a very important point. In one sense, I don't need to belong. I already belong, and I need to become aware that I belong. i belong to krishna and everything belongs to krishna there's nothing this is the importance of the term sambandha you may have heard the word sambanda, avideya prayojan so sambanda. sometimes it's translated as relationship but the word sambandha means everything sam is linked tied connected banda so sambandha is the knowledge that teaches us how everything is in relationship connected to krishna everything belongs to him. Everything belongs. Everything is interconnected. So we already belong. Everything belongs. My my friend Franciscan monk Richard Rohr, he uses that quote. I like him a lot. He says, Everything belongs. Period. Yeah. Everything belongs. <laughs> There's a common center, and everything is already connected to that common center. The only problem is when we lose sight of that miraculous, wonderful fact. So Sambanda is the knowledge that everything belongs. You know? Being educated about the fact that, in one sense, I don't need to belong. I need to become aware that not only I belong, but everything belongs. That everything is connected with everything. Nothing is isolated, nothing is divorced from each other. Everything is one family. Basudhaiva kutumbakam, the There is not, there's only one family. There's only one family. If we start to think two families, three families, we start to create some form of sectarianism. In, in, in a universal sense, everything belongs to a common center. So I will say that one important, one of many, Let's let's share a few thoughts about what allows for the experience of belonging. Because all of us long for that. Again, we already belong. Since we are not fully aware of that, what can we do to go to that, get to that experience? I belong. I'm part of. I'm not apart from, I'm a part of mm-hmm. <laughs> already. Already I'm a part, not apart. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I like to make some play of words sometimes. <laughs> so let's share some thoughts about what can facilitate our belonging. Also, we can speak about what can facilitate fitting in although we are not promoting that <laughs> but just to become aware so one important idea that at least in my opinion is not emphasized enough in our tradition and as you may start to discover in one sense my book is also a constructive criticism to my tradition not to the essence of my tradition that's transcendental and pure but how sometimes we uh, lose sight of the essence of our tradition, and misrepresent the traditions to ourselves to begin with. What <laughs> to speak to others? And because I love my tradition, I dare to criticize my tradition <laughs> out of love and commitment, no? at least that's the attempt. So I personally feel we do, not, we do not we do not emphasize enough a few crucial points, and one of them is that. As I mentioned already, Krishna already loves each of us unconditionally devotees non devotees alike Krishna loves everyone unconditionally that's and that's supported by shastra I'm not coming with my own uh, theories here
2: <laughs> i
0: can I can I don't want to torture you with shastri quotations I may share a few but uh, that's very clear in Shastra many was. I mean, when I started to do research, when I was writing my book and talking on this, I like always to, to support my, my, my quote unquote ideas with Shastra, which of course showed that they are not my ideas. <laughs> and I'm just trying to show, okay, this is here, this is Shastra. And I was overwhelmed at how many more sections in Shastra came showing me Krishna's unconditional love for everyone from time without beginning. Krishna in the Gita says, Suridam Sarbha for example. I'm the well-wishing friend of all living entities. Mm-hmm. He did not say, Suridam, a few Bhutanam. No? <laughs> I'm the friend of a few living entities. I'm, I, I only love my devotees. No, he's including every single living entity. Mm-hmm. So that implies Krishna is already accepting us fully. Even when we do not even know that he exists. Even when we may be in a situation where we may say, I don't believe in God. Still, he loves me unconditionally. Mm -hmm. So try, try to, I think it's important that we try to, how to say, drench, drench ourselves in this type of ideas. Like, okay, I'm fully accepted by God already. He's already loving me unconditionally. Despite all my conditioning, he's unconditionally, which means it goes beyond my messiness, He's totally loving me. That should be something that brings ourselves to tears. I mean, we should go deep into this idea until you are brought to tears. You are moved so much at how this unique, most blissful and sweet personality is loving me, even for lifetimes, me rejecting him. Well, that's unconditional love. So again, that should facilitate the experience of belonging. He already loves me unconditionally. I don't in other words, I don't need to try to fit in. I don't need to try to perform in front of Krishna, so he likes me. He already loves me unconditionally. You don't need to be this or this or that so Krishna loves you. That's not happening. It's not something that you will attain by your own merit. What we are trying to do now is to reciprocate his unconditional. We are not trying to make effort in sadhana. So Krishna loves us. We are trying to make efforts in sadhana because Krishna loves us. <laughs> and now we are trying to reciprocate. follow? That's a very big difference. That's not the same. And I'm saying that because many times we may conduct ourselves in practice from a wrong orientation, trying to, okay, I have to do it like this. So Krishna likes me, Krishna loves me. If I fail... He will reject me. He will be angry with me. He will kick me out. He will send me to a peak birth in the next lifetime. And we get a little neurotic sometimes. And we are projecting a very unreal, surreal idea of God. That's not Krishna. At least that's not my Krishna. (laughs) Hopefully it's not yours either. So, So that's very crucial, very potent Understand. Okay, Krishna is already loving everyone, everything, <laughs> unconditionally. He's not. He does not only have love. He is made of love. I know it's difficult. It may sound abstract to imagine. Like imagine a person who is made of love. Maybe complex to rationalize because it's not about here. But Krishna is made of love. So he, if he's love personified. He cannot not love at any moment. <laughs> you follow my point? If you're just made of love, you have no option <laughs> but love, but loving. If you're only love, you cannot go against that that you are at any moment. So Krishna cannot not love. Although in our mind, we may project any distorted ideas about Krishna not loving and not liking and rich but he's made of unconditional love, costless mercy. What well, to speak if we talk in terms of Mahapuru and Ityanandapur, which is another form of talking about Krishna. Don't forget. Extreme, indiscriminate love and mercy. Extreme. Extreme. Hmm. No filter. So that's unconditional. I mean, we are here because of that also. <laughs> if you take out the principle of unconditional love, this this room will be totally empty. <laughs> This whole island will be totally empty. (laughs) If Mahaprabhu and Prabhu have come here and performed his little of unconditional love and acceptance, there is no Navadut, no Mayapur, no Sankirtan. There is nobody of us here (laughs) who knows what we will will be doing. Mm -hmm. So if we are here now, it's because of the principle of unconditional love, which means unconditional acceptance also. You already are fully accepted by God. So you already belong Again, I don't need to make myself perfect. Or if I'm not perfect, at least I have to fake that I'm perfect. Maybe Krishna will be cheated in the process and he will see that I think that I'm perfect and he will accept me. You can relax and take it, <laughs> take rest from that neurosis, so to say. So, and, and, and that's beautiful, but as beautiful as that is, I'm being fully loved unconditionally. Uh, That may be challenging in our present situation, because again, we have this strong tendency. And when I say we, I'm not saying all of you are there, I'm just speaking in general. But we generally, it's difficult for us to conceive that we will receive something that we haven't done anything to deserve it. But that's, that's the nature of unconditional love. You did nothing and it's there. And it's like... It's, and, and that's like a thunderbolt to the false ego because false ego wants to deserve. Mm-hmm. That's the very word of hankar. Hankar means I am the doer. No, I did it. Huh. I deserve it. It's my credit. It's my merit. But with, with unconditional love, there's no place for that. You did nothing and it's there fully. It's total humiliation for the false ego. <laughs> and many times it's a bitter pill to swallow because we are still attached to that. So when someone tells you, you did nothing to deserve it and here it is fully given to you. And no matter what you do, you will never deserve it. <laughs> but it's still coming. So it's beautiful in its own way, but it requires utmost humility for being willing to, <laughs> to be okay with that gift undeserved gift so there is a price costless mercy is costless mercy as I like to say but it's not priceless mercy so for us to appreciate and honor and receive costless mercy there is a price and the price is deep humility because I will be receiving something that no matter what I do I will never deserve it and it's okay. I should be okay with that we should be okay with things that we don't deserve If we just want to deserve things, then we are back into the cause and effect department, karma arena, so to say. If you want that, okay. you have it. There is a department for those who like just to deserve stuff. (laughs) But the Department of Mercy, that's a different. It operates with different codes, so to say. So so that's the idea, no? The idea, even the idea, we have Sushigornita here, and sometimes when, when we have Takurji, Shrimurti on the altar, we may use the term, you may have said that a few thousand times already. Let's go and have darshan. Yeah. Okay, just to confirm that I'm not the only one saying darshan in this yeah. lifetime. And many times we understand darshan as I'm going to see deities. And that's not actually what darshan means.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Darshan means I'm going to be seen by Krishna. I don't have eyes to see Krishna, he has eyes to see me, even despite all my messiness. Again, he has eyes to see me throughout beyond that and see who I really am and all my potential and love me unconditionally. Despite so, darshan means not so much. I'm going to see God. That sounds a little arrogant. <laughs> I'm going to see God. Let's, let's come to see God on, the, on, the, on that corner. On the, let's go. Follow. Let's, let's take more distances. I'm going to be seen by him. Like Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Satsaparitaka will say, don't try to see God. Try to behave in such a way that he wants to see you. Like like making this shift into perspective. No? Instead of more subjective, I am the one seeing, to a more objective, I am being seen. No? Drishta, Drisya. So anyhow, Darshan then means what? I'm going to see, be seen by Krishna. And in connection to my previous point, how he will see me. There, there are two questions when we say Darshan. And it all this has to do with belonging. Darshan means how, he, which... With which eyes will Krishna see me? And how will I present myself unto him? Again, this is not just like a mechanical ritual. Okay, let's go have Darshan, Jai, Gunita. Okay, Darshan for the day, over. Let's continue. That was not Darshan. (laughs) (laughs) With all respect. (laughs) Like if you chant and you can chant mechanically and your mind is somewhere else, that's not Srinath. That's something else, with all respect. So in the same way we can do all the things externally but the the substance of the experience may be there may not be there. Depends from which place we are doing it. So darshan means Krishna is seeing me through the eyes of unconditional love. What we were talking before. I'm presenting myself in front of Krishna's merciful glance and he is seeing me as I am with all my whatever, all the stuff that's still there, he's loving me unconditionally. So I ha- I'm presented in front of Bhagavan to be to receive his causeless mercies, his unconditional glance, and to accept how I'm being loved by him. That's that's darshan. <laughs> I'm naked in front of God. In other words, I I I don't come in, in front of Krishna to Again, to make some performance so he doesn't see the actual stuff. <laughs> he sees everything, and he loves me unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And I'm celebrating that fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's seeing something in me that he finds lovable. Imagine. Sometimes we don't see anything in us lovable. Sometimes we are pretty harsh on ourselves. <laughs> and that's, a, that's not Humility. Be careful, because sometimes we, we may misunderstand humility as I have to be very strict with myself, and I'm the worst of the worst. Or sometimes we may do copy-paste of some prayers that our acharyas have done from a certain place of deep experience. And we may not be, we, if we just imitate that, we may become depressed. <laughs> no. I don't know. Krishna Das se lagishta. I am more sinful than Jagai Madai. I'm worse than this worm in the stool. <laughs> and you have to be careful how you apply that to yourself. I mean, I'm not canceling that verse, but it's like from which place Krishna Das Kaviraj is saying that? From which experience, deep realization, extreme humility? Maybe that's not the type of humility we should imitate. We are not probably Krishna Das Kaviraj fine, probably. <laughs> and maybe if we just force ourselves I'm worse than the wor- worm in the stool I'm worse than the warm. The- and maybe you end up dysfunctional and you need therapy I've seen a few devotees like misreading humility or surrender all these beautiful words crucial words but you need to digest them according to your adhikar and present situation if you just try to import how Rupa Goswami is living that how Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami is expressing that That creates such a short-circuiting because generally we are not them, basically. So the challenge is, okay, how humility and surrender and all these things are to be expressed in my particular stage, in a healthy way. We don't want to go to the extreme of imitating certain expressions of that. We don't want to go to the extreme of utterly rejecting all that. That's what Rupa Goswami calls Niyama Graha. He gives two varieties of Niyamagraha. Rejecting all rules and all regulations, rebel without the cost, <laughs> or following all rules and regulations without understanding why. Those two are equally dangerous, he will say. So, anyhow, I, I was saying about darshan, and darshan is. Christians seeing you and Christians finding something worthy of being loved in you. And that always reminds this beautiful line from St. John of the Cross, mystical Christian. And he will say, Love what God sees in you. That's very interesting orientation. We're talking with Hriday a little bit today. Because sometimes we can say, and I know it's not so much the classical Godia way of speaking. Uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm promoting some form of narcissism here, saying like, love love yourself. But there is a place for that in a healthy way, in connection to how God is seeing me, not independent from that. Independent from that is narcissism. You know? I love myself, I love myself. But if I realize Krishna loves me and I'm supposed to love what he sees in me, that's humbling that's not arrogance, that's not narcissism and as we were talking today with Hriday Chaitanya if I love Krishna I'm supposed to love the things that he loves because that's what love is about if I love you, whatever you love I will love as well because I love you, so I love everything you love so if Krishna loves something in us and I want to love Krishna I should love what he loves in me as well do you follow my point? I should love myself in that context no? please don't edit my class and just put I should love myself <laughs> Maharaj is promoting full Aposiddhanta but there is a place for that and, and, and that, that will steal humility not arrogance it's in the context of loving what God loves that's a very interesting perspective so darshan has to do with that just for us not to reduce it to let's see the daily outfits of the deities, okay, that's Darshan and that's it no? that's very different from entering to this space of i being loved unconditionally and, and having an actual experience and that's the idea of Darshan, Darshan is not just a word a concept and we can present in front of Krishna in full vulnerability knowing that he's fully accepting us that we already belong again that's such an empowering experience. That's such a relief. Wow, I don't need to exhaust myself trying to fit in. Trying, I already fully belong, fully accepted by Bhagavan, with imperfections included. That, my imperfection gives Krishna the chance of loving me unconditionally.
1: <laughs>
0: Let's put it like that. Because if you say Krishna only will love you when you are perfect... I mean, that doesn't sound, that doesn't give too much hope, at least for me. Uh, someone tells me, Maharaj, Krishna will love you only when you are perfect. That's it, game over. No? <laughs> that's, there's no hope there. But still, if someone comes to you, despite all your imperfection, Krishna is already loving you fully. That's a complete game changer, a complete different orientation. Of course, that's not an excuse. Of, oh, so then I can remain imperfect because Krishna loved me already. Yeah, but the point is the, love of, the goal of life is not that Krishna loves you. The goal of life is that you love him. And for that you need to do something. It's not just like how oh, nice. but, may, but probably the, 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 the main or a very powerful, uh, how to say Udipan like stimulant for us to love him is to know how much he's already loving us. Because if you think Krishna doesn't love me and I have to love him, that creates a, a, a different orientation. I'm, I'm struggling to love him. And hopefully someday he loves me. <laughs> that doesn't give too much hope. But if you already know, he already loves me and he has accepted me fully. And I want to reciprocate. I voluntarily choose to give back the embrace, so to say. You conduct your sadhana from a very different place. I'm not chanting my japa, uh, to gain, Krishna, to, to, to gain Krishna's attention. In one sense, because of Krishna's intention, I'm chanting my java. No, If he wouldn't do the quick kickstart to begin with, I wouldn't be chanting. <laughs> you follow? It's not that I, out of my own, without Krishna's mercy, I will figure out, okay, hey, today, from today on, I will start engaging in what I would like to call sadhana bhakti. I mean, we don't have a clue about that. Unless he has this original... Kickstart, and because of that, we are trying to respond to his original embrace, so to say. So that's a nice way to conceive of bhakti. What's bhakti? We are trying to give back the embrace. <laughs> Krishna already through the embrace, through Parampara, through the sadhus, holy holy name, prasad, Shastra, so many, so many embraces. <laughs> and now we are being invited to reciprocate accordingly. It's, Relationship it's two way street, especially with imperfection included. Krishna doesn't wait for us to be perfect. Such a relief! (laughs) He doesn't care for that. He takes advantage of imperfection to increase his unconditional love. If you really love, you won't again. You won't be telling anyone, "Call me when you are perfect, and I love you." That doesn't sound too romantic. (laughs) when you're perfect send me a message and I'll consider the (laughs) possibility that's not love, I mean love is not conditional, love can only be unconditional, if I speak about conditional love, that's an oxymoron, those are two words cancelling one another conditional love that's not love (laughs) love is only unconditional so that's interesting how Krishna even uses imperfection Limitation to increase his love. Well, that's even present in his own lila. As we were talking, I think the other day, the Damodar lila. We recently celebrated that during Kartik, brat. And one of the unending, unique, astonishing features of Damodar lila is, of course, that there we find a very unique <laughs> notion of the divine. No, a divine which is mischievous and is lying. And he's breaking stuff. And it's still he's not a playboy at that age. That, that will come later. <laughs> but in his Kumar Lila, is a boy, still he's doing a few things that generally do not fit with the usual idea of how God looks like. He's crying. He's running away from Yashoda. And eventually he's tied. That's a very counterintuitive notion of God. God generally is not tied, right? He's the one who liberates us from all ties (laughs) and here suddenly tied to a mortar he's like limited technically apparently he's limited imagine you are tied to to a mortar you are limited but Krishna is very uh, how to say he's kalanidhi he's an ocean of arts and creativity so he knows how to draw maximum even from limitation so he's limited, quote unquote, in his lila. He cannot move. But the whole situation is such that his loving interaction with Yashoda <clears throat> increased in that situation. Despite his tithe, he's increasing his love. So increasing your love means increasing your freedom. Love goes hand by hand with freedom. So Krishna becomes more and more free. <laughs> while being tied. (laughs) The tying situation helped him to increase his freedom. Again, it's paradoxical. It's like, how can that happen? Well, he's Krishna, of course. (laughs) He can do that. So my point is, despite limitation, despite imperfection, Krishna doesn't, he includes all that to increase the loving experience. So that should give hope to us who are, in my case, at least so limited, so imperfect. But our hope is Krishna knows how to deal with limitation and imperfection. He increases the loving experience with all those ingredients in the masala, no problem. So it's like, okay, thank you, thank you. So that's those are some thoughts in connection to belonging, how we can truly belong. And truly belonging means I don't have, again, a need to fake. I have a need to be who I am, to present myself openly, vulnerably, at least to begin with, in front of Krishna, hopefully in front of some other human kinder spirits that I can fully trust in, and I can present my imperfect self to the world and know that I'm loved. Mm. In a world where everything has to be perfect for you to be someone, that's generally the message, the narrative in this world. Unless you are perfect, nobody will care for you. (laughs) Unless your last, latest Instagram picture is not fully edited and all the different, who will care for you? I mean, that's the message between the lines. You will be nobody if you at least do not show yourself as you are perfect. Because all of us know nobody is perfect, but at least try to fake it. You will get some more likes if you are a good faker of perfection. (laughs) But we, and, and we don't need to do that with Krishna. And by extension, we shouldn't need to do that with anyone. Hmm. Or if we need to do that with some, then maybe that's the message that we do not belong in that direction. That's not my tribe. That's not my hive. <laughs> that's not my home. Hmm. Hmm. So also this has a lot to do with self-acceptance. I need to accept myself as I am, knowing that I'm accepted by Bhagavan fully. And therefore, I can present myself fully, imperfect to the world, and I can belong. If I don't, if I can, if I I don't have self acceptance, I cannot belong, because I'm not accepting myself for who I am, and I'm still struggling to try to be something else. Because somehow I have bogged into the myth that I have to be this or this or that to be accepted, to be loved, to be part of. So sometimes we need to deconstruct. Some of those means that sometimes play out even in spiritual societies, so to say, or spiritual institutions. Although I don't know if that term is actually accurate, spiritual institutions. But anyhow, <laughs> that's another conversation. But yeah, at one point we have to learn, I have to let go of the, how to say, of other people what may think about me. I mean, if we are obsessed with how every single person thinks about me, probably you will never be able to belong because we were always performing to please everyone in the crowd, so to say, huh? to keep all the audience satisfied, which is impossible, by the way, <laughs> because what satisfies one person doesn't satisfy the other and one person will be demanding this and that will be the... And you become like a puppet of of a crowd and, and you lost yourself totally. Hmm? So that's not the idea. The idea is I can let go of public opinion and I can, There only after that, I can gain access to my real worthiness, to my inner dignity, for who I am, for how I'm being loved by Bhagavan. I hope something of what I'm saying makes sense. You are all very serious. But that's a good symptom. I, I, I mean, I'm not expecting you have to be smiling. They're not telling you jokes. It's very serious stuff. <laughs> but I'm just checking the audience just in case. <laughs> uh, and these are, these are some of the main angas of Sharanagati, no? of, of offering ourselves to Krishna. Some of the main expressions, shat, tibish, vassu, vop, tri, tvi, to trust Krishna's fully protecting me, which is another way of saying Krishna is fully accepting me. I'm already in his lap. And go varana, to accept that he's maintaining me. Maintaining me is not only like have something to eat, no? but he's maintaining me in every single sense of the term. Internally, by his love, unconditional acceptance. So one central expression of Saranagati as practitioners is to enter into that mood. Krishna is fully accepting me. Krishna is fully uh, protecting me, loving me. That's a very important aspect of our sadhana, to remind ourselves that. Because it's easy to forget that. It's easy to to go on the motions of the day without feeling ourselves fully accepted, fully loved. And, And that means we are becoming distracted from reality. That's not reality, that's illusion. To forget that you are fully accepted, that you already fully belong. So anyhow, enough for the belonging part, for the bouquet part. Let's go to the bonsai part for a minute <laughs> to make some contrast and to understand what it, what it, what is what. No, so fitting in that's not the same as belonging. Remember, fitting is just I transform myself into something else. So like, I, no. I fit in. The very expression tells it all. Mm-hmm. So It's very different for the, for, from the idea of darshan that I described before. Like okay? I'm just presenting myself in front of Bhagavan and I'm being seen by him lovingly and conditionally, completely, despite all my imperfection. And fitting is avoiding to be seen at all costs, basically. Making a great effort so nobody sees me for who I actually are. Because if that happens, I will be kicked out from the the club, so to say. So fitting him is an avoidance to be seen at all costs, basically. And constantly discerning, what should I say? What should not I say? What should I do? What should not I do to match the expectations of the audience? It's like not very healthy. It's exhausting to, to live in that place. And that can happen, again, in our Godia dynamics, in, in any social dynamics, that can happen. We can just compromise our integrity, our identity, just to, to be part, wanting to belong, but ending up fitting in <laughs> and, and, and hiding who we actually are. Well, the thing that we need the most is to be who we are and feel that someone is accepting me for who I am. That That's something of the most deeper needs that we have. Okay, someone is looking at me, hearing me, without judging me, without labeling me, without putting me in a box and sending that box through Amazon to the North Pole somewhere else. (laughs) But very present, full acceptance, non-judgmental empathy. Wow, we need that. That's really empowering. So fitting in is basically the opposite of this. Fitting in is a lack of all of the above. Yeah, it's okay. It will get darker, so yeah, some light. You have more light? No, I think that's enough. Yeah. Mm. So try to to see the contrast. Mm. Belonging again. I already belong. I already am accepted. I already am loved. That's the best self-esteem formula you can find, so to say. And a humble one. again, not you don't need to create this idea of I'm super beautiful and special and I love myself, and but from a narcissistic point of view.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And fitting in is the opposite of that. Being fearful that I won't fit in, that I won't be accepted, lots of insecurity, uh, lack of self-confidence. Uh, and I say that with hopefully with compassion, we are not here attacking. Those who may have are going through that because probably all of us are going through that on some level. <laughs> Let's be realistic. This is not so easy to full belonging is not so easy. So when I'm saying all the things, I hopefully I'm not triggering in you shame and guilt. Like, oh my gosh, Maharaj is talking about this, and I'm a disaster. I do not fully belong. And it's like, no, relax. And all of us are mostly in the same. <laughs> some level or another in the same journey. So by not being by not reminding ourselves or by not being reminded by others enough how much we are already accepted and loved and so on, we we really may conduct our practice from a very again ex- exhausting place. You no, know, and trying to to earn God's love and, and and the whole practice may become what I like to call a meritocracy like something based about merit like i have to to add points to my no whatever to my score no so i have to get enough points so krishna loves me i have to add points so i deserve and i gain the merit to be part of but again that's not that's not about it it's not about that countless mercy is already there hmm. So it's not about like reaching some merit. So again, Krishna likes me, Krishna loves me. That's ridiculous with all respect to those who may be thinking like that still. (laughs) With affection, I'm telling that if that's going on in your mind still, that's ridiculous. That you think that I have to earn God's love. That's ridiculous. That's not God. That's not Krishna. I I don't have to earn that. That's already there. Mm -hmm. I have just to become aware of that fact. And then reciprocate accordingly. No? It's not about like being perfect or being right. Oh, it's not about correctedness. It's about connectedness. No. <laughs> it's not about being correct at every moment. I'm perfect at every moment. And if I fail in something, I'm banished from whatever. At least it shouldn't be thought like that. And I know we talked many times about... I know devotees that sometimes, unfortunately... And uh, overemphasize certain things to the point of creating this in others. You know, like for example, okay, we have the four regulated principles. I have nothing against those. I follow them, <laughs> just in case. Clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes there is an overemphasis in those, in the sense of if you don't follow them at some point, oh my gosh, we have a problem here. Be pro- probably you cannot be a devotee anymore. <laughs> you follow? Uh, and sometimes we overemphasize someone who had a, a moral lapse or a problem with whatever, going to the casino. <laughs> Let's put it like that. And sometimes we may have way... <laughs> Is there a casino in Mayapur? There may be opening one very soon. It's on its way. Okay, no problem. So you are put to test. Let's see who is who there. (laughs) So sometimes someone may have a problem with that. And we may overemphasize that failure. And we may have way deeper problems than those. Pratista, envy, hypocrisy, dualistic thinking. All of those things are invisible. Nobody sees you breaking the reg. But generally we don't judge those things as so problematic. Because we don't see them or something. But if you smoke or if you whatever this are touch <gasps> and scandal <laughs> so it's, it's really out of proper measure and that creates also this this paranoia of shame and again it goes against this belonging spirit uh, like oh with this again I'm, I don't want to make that sound easy so you do whatever you want it's no problem. I'm not saying that I'm just saying let's be generous with one another in how we we treat each other considering that krishna loves us unconditionally because that's another point that i didn't mention oh so beautiful krishna loves me unconditionally yes but he also loves unconditionally everyone else and you should treat everyone else bearing that in mind that's more difficult (laughs) but that's the price the price to pay i want to love beloved unconditionally, krishna okay but no, but nothing. You cannot say, but don't don't love everyone else <laughs> <untimely>. <laughs> doesn't make sense. No? It's like Mahaprabhu, please give me mercy. But then, but why you're giving mercy to him? He doesn't deserve mercy. But the point, the whole point is that mercy is not deserved. Again, we are talking about costless mercy. It's costless. But many times you're like, But why? Why he? Which is the cause? There's no cause. So we have to really align with this and stop contradicting ourselves <laughs> and understand so beautiful Krishna loves me unconditionally. And yes, also so beautiful Krishna loves everyone else unconditionally. It's not so beautiful yet, but I know it should be so beautiful. <laughs> everyone else is being... Try to try to imagine this, how to treat each other bearing that in mind, how our relationships will be transformed. If I treat each other Bear in mind, this is a person who is loved unconditionally by Krishna. And this is a person that is being loved unconditionally by Krishna. Mm-hmm. So that's very different from a culture of, a shame culture. That sometimes we are very expert in establishing. Shaming others, making others feel guilt, uh, inadequate, you don't belong. Again, all this type of punish reward system. You know? Like do the things paka nicely, Okay. Good boy. Oh, here you have your candy, your ice cream, your whatever. Now you're temple president. <laughs> you perk, your perk. Okay. One extra point, one extra whatever title. And if not, punish, punish, reward, punish, reward. That has nothing to do with costless mercy and conditional love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ours is a transformation system. It's not a punish, reward system. It's a system in which our hearts are transformed by the principle of unconditional love. Our religion is, again, as I say, it's not so much about correctedness, but about connectedness. Even if I'm a mess, but I'm sincere in my mess. (laughs) Krishna, I mean, and I'm not creating this, this is Krishna's in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's saying, if you misbehave terribly still, but sincerely want to become my devotee, For me, you are sadhu. I'm not making this up. Bhagavad Gita chapter 9, verse 30. Go, you have the reference. I'm not creating my own Siddhanta here. (laughs) So Krishna is saying, even if you are in Sudhur Achar, Achar means good behavior, Achar, Acharya. Dura char means bad behavior. Sudurachara means very bad behavior. (laughs) So even if you engage in very bad behavior, but if you are determined in worshiping me, honestly, even though you are a total mess still, (laughs) you should say, for me, that person, I consider him or her as a sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Hmm? To his, because that person is properly de- establishing his her determination. And then he goes, of course, sorry? Sadhu. Well, generally, Sadhu is tra- described as there are different ways of translating Sadhu. Generally, sometimes translated as saintly person. But Sadhu comes from the word Sat, and Sat means truth, among many things. Sat means that which is real. Which exists. We are Sachit Ananda. Sad means you exist. So sad means what is truth. So sadhu means someone who lives for the truth, someone who is honest. That's what the Bhagavatam say. Dharma satam. Satam is another way of saying sadhu. Say this book is only for honest people. If you are not honest, please close immediately this book. You won't get anything. That's verse two just to put in context the remaining 17,996 verses. So honest. Honest doesn't mean I'm perfect. Honest means I'm imperfect and I'm honest about my imperfection. <laughs> Basically. So, so that's how, how we should relate to each other. We are not here to pretend perfection. We are, like, like Deva Mada probably will say, I like him very much, he... He reframes Prabhupada's slogan of chant and be happy. He will say, Chant and be honest. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes we want happiness too quickly without being honest first. So, so <laughs> chant and be honest, even if you are not happy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, of course,
0: because we won't be happy always. So be honest when you are not happy. Be honest about the potential cause of your unhappiness. <laughs> Of course, the goal of life is not to be happy. I'm sorry if it, this is too shocking for you. The goal of life is not to be happy. The whole life, of life is to love Krishna. And in love, there is suffering. Not to say suffering we experience now without love. So relax. Because we say, I don't want to suffer eternally in vrindavan Not that type of suffering. Selfish, miserable suffering separate from Krishna. But in love, there is suffering. But it's loving suffering. So it's sweet. It is difficult to accommodate, but it's sweet. Mm-hmm. what what's it say, this verse? Krishna. How does it say? Bahya jala Ananda Krishna The wonderful, astonishing features of divine love is outside they may seem as poison. Inside, the inside they are full of ananda and bliss. Externally, it may seem that someone is suffering a lot, crying, but internally, they are tasting the highest sweetness. So there is the possibility of sweetness in pain. (laughs) We should should start to learn to accommodate these apparent contradictions to enter someday into that world. So anyhow, I, I was mentioning some ideas in connection to fitting in. This honor, shame, culture, punish reward system, requirement religion versus relationship religion. Ours is a relationship religion, not requirement religion. This, 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 this has to be in place. If not, sorry. Krishna, again, Krishna is saying, you are a total mess. Be honest about your mess. That will be the slow, that's nine thirteen in contemporary terms by Swami Patmanava. Nine thirteen, in the Gita, be honest about your mess. That's it. And you are a Sabbath. Be honest means be a sadhu. Sadhu means honest person. So we have to be sadhus in every circumstance, even in the most messy, especially in the most messy ones. That's when we see how much of a sadhu you want to be. Not only in the shiny moments, Sunday feast. I mean, everyone can put smile for for a few hours. But the thing is, in the most challenging, complex moment, that's when Krishna will special look. Let's see what, what happens now. Those are the circumstances in which our main texts are being spoken. I mean, Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna is not talking from a comfort zone. (laughs) Try to enter into his shoes. No, he's thrown his Gandiva, thrown fall on the floor, crying desperately, completely overwhelmed, having all his beloved people in front of. I mean, that's not an easy situation. But that's the context in which the Gita emerges. Bhagavatam, not an easy situation. Imagine if you are cursed, you have seven days to live. That's not in your comfort zone. That throws you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> that was Parik, Parikshit Maharaj's situation. And that brought the Bhagavatam into manifestation. So all of our main texts are coming from <laughs> complex situations, but they are fully honest and fully open to embrace that situation they can belong, (laughs) again. And one last thing that comes to mind in terms of fitting in before we wrap up and and give some minutes for questions. Another thing that I will personally emphasize that sometimes in our tradition, we should be careful so we can create proper belonging environment and not fitting in is that sometimes we over-idealize as we sometimes we judge each other. We may judge each other a little bit too harshly. Sometimes we may over-idealize each other also. And that's also not very healthy. Over-idealizing each other. I mean, not always, but I don't know. In my particular sannyas issues, I, I have that karma, basically. <laughs> people over-idealize. Well, some other people, just because you're a sannyas, hates you also. <laughs> they are different. <laughs> that are different varieties. But, but there is over-idealization considerably. Uh, and that's not very healthy. Now, imagine if you are in a, in a situation where everyone is thinking that you are way more than what you actually are. It's so superficial. It's so unreal. Surreal. <laughs> that, that there is a, a, a projection of super, superhero. Now, you need to be a super. You are a superhero. Superhero. I mean, I know this may make me sound like I have like superman. It has this sh- superhero thing, but I'm not superhero. I don't want to be superhero. As I as I mentioned in my book, first I want to be a devotional human being, not a devotional superhero. First, let's be human beings. Sometimes we are not very human, <laughs> so we we have we need to bring lots of humanity into our practice. Also, spiritual practice doesn't mean. Divorce yourself from humanity but integrate your humanity into spirituality. We want to serve Krishna eternal internally in his Nara Lila. Nara Lila means human pastimes. There is a loss of humanity there. If I have my own humanity in a totally fractured, dysfunctional way as a sadaka here, how do I expect to enter Nara Lila? I won't be allowed. They'll say, No, no, your humanity is way dysfunctional now. <laughs> still go heal yourself, integrate some stuff, unresolved trauma issues. We we're waiting for, <laughs> for you here. <laughs> so sometimes there is this over-idealization, sometimes especially in terms of, I don't know, whatever situation. And I, I'm not condemning anyone. Sometimes we may have this need of putting someone on a superhero pedestal, <laughs> but eventually we need to realize relationships should be more Real, more human. Even with the guru, even with the guru, and sometimes we maybe over-idealize the guru, extremely put him or her, just in case, very far away, too too high, too far, and the distance is so big. And Rupa Goswami says, "Bishram guru seva." Relationship with guru should be one of bishramba. Bishramba means intimate trust, confidence, and for a type of friendship. Even Jiva Goswami describes Pisramba to a point that he says, there is so much confidence that the two parts lose their sense of identity and they kind of merge into a loving interaction. It's so intimate. And Rupa Goswami says, that's how a guru and a disciple should relate. Ideally, at least that the relationship should evolve in that direction. Not to create like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and bigger distance. And sometimes, again, uh, of course, there may be responsibility from both parts. One has to be careful not to accept that over-idealization, but we should be careful not to over-idealize. Because if I over-idealize you, I'm dehumanizing you, technically speaking. If I put you too much on a pedestal that you do not belong, it's dehumanizing. It's, It's taking humanity and intimacy away. And again, that doesn't allow for belonging. It's more about like forced interaction, fitting in and so on. So anyhow, some thoughts I want to share today uh, in connection to belonging and and fitting in and the importance that again, our loyalties, our deeper loyalties are always belonging to our faith, to our deep belonging. We shouldn't sell our loyalties so to say, in exchange for membership or something like that. We shouldn't compromise our integrity. And we should know we can only belong, one last point, we cannot belong to any institution. I mean, we may be part of an institution. and I don't have anything against institutions, but we can only belong to hearts. I cannot belong to an institution. I can belong to someone else. (laughs) which happens, may happen to be an institution. No. That's why sometimes we join an institution because there happens to be someone there whose heart makes my heart beat in a certain way. And I feel compelled to go there because of that heart, not because of a mere institutional structure, so to say. So it's important that we understand real affiliation <laughs> It's never institutional. Real affiliation is a hard affair. And it's, I think it's healthy that we conceive see our affiliation. Although we may be affiliated to an institution, it has to go beyond that. It cannot be merely institutional. That, that was what it means to participate in Mahaprabhu's movement. Mahaprabhu's movement is, Mahaprabhu never even, I will dare to say, he never inaugurated a religion. <laughs> he just was not ecstatic, no. And and he, and his move, how his movement began by a movement he experienced in his heart. There was a movement here to begin with. His movement internally, Krishna tasting Radha, that inner movement took him to another movement. No, he started to dance and celebrate his own fullness. No? That's not, and that movement created a whole worldwide movement that we now are part of. But it all began, but one movement here. So for us to continue participating in this movement, something keeps needs to be continue moving here in our heart. That's the real belonging, not fitting in. That's the bouquet again, going back to our analogy. We want to make of ourselves an offering of pleasure to the divine couple. A bouquet, if you want to use that analogy. We don't want to be a a mere bonsai. We don't want bonsai Vaishnavism, bonsai ourselves. We have a potential to be giants, so don't become a miniature version of that. That, that's, That's not the idea. Anyhow, some thoughts in connection to this topic. I hope it reached some nourishing place in your heart. And we have a few minutes, or whatever minutes we have time. We have eternity on our side, yeah. eternity is supporting us. <laughs> so, if you have any questions, uh, ideally related to the topic, so we can continue navigating the theme today. Okay. Ananta well, Goranga, well, yeah. Thank you for the lecture. Uh, Marash, I, um, <laughs> when
2: you are mentioning about the unconditional love Krishna has for us, spiritual souls. Maybe like, uh, to my mind, this uh, thought that, uh, like, uh, Indra, for example, he was ready to kill all the vayabhasis, mm-hmm. which is even in our society, <laughs> I don't think there is someone so evil. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. You think about women kids, and kids, old men. Yeah. So he wanted to kill them, mm-hmm. not just hurt them. You know? yeah. Still, uh, Krishna forgave forgive him. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking, yeah, uh, how to apply that that kind of example. Someone say, no, this is too, cannot be compared because, uh, you know, this is But how how to be relevant in nowadays, this kind of uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's one of many great examples uh, that you mentioned. Actually, technically speaking, Indra wanted to kill Krishna and that, that's very interesting because Indra wanted to kill Krishna. He thought, how can I kill Krishna? He thought, I will kill all the Brajavasis and he will die because they are his life. That was the logic he had. I mean, that was very accurate, but from a very <laughs> wrong, distorted place. No? Yes, Krishna's life are the brajavasis you should conclude there, stop there. But Indra was, so I can kill him by killing them. That's really like, how you can think like that, no? <laughs> and even in that case, because Indra is a devotee of Krishna, on, one, on some level. He's a Sakama Bhakta, not a Nishkam Bhakta. Nishkam means free from all ulterior motives. Indra is a devotee, but still there is some, no? How to say some ulterior motives, some desires, this and that. So, but it's a devotee. So Krishna is also considering that. And of course, as we know, Govardhan and Lila ultimately gives Indra lots of blessings, lots of teachings, lots of humility. I mean, Krishna could see, Krishna so more like, oh, he's like a child, like went crazy. Like, like, like when a child tells the mother, he gets angry and says, tells his mother, I hate you. No, he may say things like I've seen a few times. I, I don't. I don't know if I saw that to my mom. I will ask her eventually. But I don't. I don't remember. T- I reached such place. <laughs> but I could have. I mean, sometimes we say to children, I hate you. I don't want to see you. It. But it's you know, it's just a feat of of anger. You no. Know? Uh, so Krishna kind of fatherly in a fatherly way. Say, Oh, Indra, my child, he's totally crazy and wants to kill everyone. <laughs> Let's give him some lesson, anyhow. Or what to speak of Indra, if you we can go to the very first asura Krishna kills his Putana. And it's a similar thing. She wants to kill Krishna. And she makes a whole facade, apparently nourishing him, wanting to kill. That's such a dark mentality. No? And, and, and this is a famous verse of, of the Bhagavatam that, that, uh, that is recited by Mukunda well that's a long story <laughs> when Godadar Pani goes to see pundarik vidyanidhi and, and pundarik Vidyanidi is sitting on his sofa you may recall no mukunda tells god let's see a great vaishnav and they find pundarik vidyanidhi and he's smoking a hookah a pipe and all his hair is with oil and, and very costly silk clothes and it's like and Godadar in his mind is like this doesn't look like a Vaishnava. no maybe they brought me to to see a bishai a sense and joy, and Mukunda could see what's, what's going on in Gadadar's mind by seeing his face. And he made to recite this verse from the Bhagavatam. Buddha is saying in the third canto, How can I surrender to someone more merciful than Krishna? It's not possible because there's nobody more merciful than Krishna. He gave the position of a mother to Putana who came to him with the intention of killing him. It's completely like out of balance. Now she came with the intention of killing him by disguising herself as someone who was supposed to nourish him. And he gave her Batsalia Prem. It's like, I'm trying to do the math and it's not working. Now, again, unconditional love, mercy, like completely indiscriminated. So... We have lots of those examples. And of course, in practice, your question, if I understood correctly, how we are to express these things in our relationships, in our daily basis. We have to be also intelligent. It's not like, okay, Krishna loves everyone unconditionally. So that guy is entering and kidnapping my child. Uh, I love you unconditionally and Krishna loves you. And no, I'm not saying that, No, again, we have to be practical and be... Intelligent, but nonetheless, even if some I don't know if someone enters and wants to beat some of the some of you, probably I will jump on the person and start to beat that person myself. No, in the context of protecting the the devotee, but (laughs) and of course, probably in the moment that I'm beating that person, (laughs) it may be I confess it may be difficult for me to be aware of you are being loved unconditionally by (laughs) Krishna. but after a few minutes, hopefully I can remain, remember that, no, and not just be like resentful and I wish you the best and you are ontologically damned for eternity or something like that. No. So I think like, <laughs>
2: ah,
1: <evil>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, in practical terms we have to apply some criterion when we see, I don't know, situations of abuse, uh, I, I'm personally totally, like Chaitanya Charitamrita says, if you know that there is some abuse, and you don't take a stance and talk about it, you become part of the abuse. Mm-hmm. So we, we are to take a stance, but that doesn't mean that we are judging that person for eternity. Like the Bible says, we hate the sin, not the sinner. No? So we, we, or we, we, we deal with the particular behavior, but we separate who the person is in the acts of God, so mm-hmm. to say. Uh, so that's what comes to mind in this connection but I think nonetheless it's healthy to to always remind ourselves, everyone is being unconditionally loved by Krishna, especially including whomever is in my black list, so to say because that's the challenge actually, no? Again, the words of Christ is, love your enemy one of the ways to love your enemy is by reminding he is loved by Krishna unconditionally (laughs) So if he loves him why you cannot love him no if if god is loving that person why you are not loving them? the other day i read a quote from a christian mystic contemporary dorothy day she said something i mean i almost fall to the ground because it was too much <laughs> in this line she said in connection to this idea of if i love god that should be that i should show my love for god for in the way i love everyone else it shouldn't be disconnected i cannot say Krishna, I love you so much and I hate all this bunch of guys. It's not possible. It shouldn't be, it cannot be possible. And she says, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I was like, oops, I'm in trouble. That was my conclusion. (laughs) I repeat just in case. He says, I love God as much as I love the person I love the least. You follow my point? That, that's what real unconditional love means. It's not that I love you and this and this, but this, mm, that's not unconditional love. I'm making some separation, some ideas. Some, I created some elitism. <laughs> so it's not easy to, to inhabit this concept of unconditional. It's beautiful. It gives so much hope, but it's so hard to enter there. We have to relinquish basically all our conditioning, <laughs> which is the idea, of course. <laughs> That's how we attain love ourselves, ¿no? by being willing to, to give up
3: all that, yeah. Un, un
0: poco más fuerte que...
3: ¿Han Entonces, Hazlo breve
0: porque voy a tener que traducir todo eso al inglés.
3: pues si, haces, si, si lo echas, te lo voy a se con el delivery, pues entonces de, al a la de calle, no Porque sé este,
0: I'll translate into English in one minute just. You, you train your Spanish ear for a minute. Mi
3: hijo, el hijo tenía que estudia, pase, la escuela, voy a ir tirado de la escuela. Uh-huh. Diciendo, a
1: ver,
0: voy a He's basically sharing a story from a particular narration. There are two brothers and one is totally imperfect and the other one is very imperfect and the imperfect one makes a a mess, basically, if I'm understanding correctly. And and the mother?
3: Mm -hmm. Okay, okay,
0: okay. So she tries to... Talk with the director of the school so that the imperfect boy is not left, but that puts in risk that he, her perfect her perfect so to say child may be thrown out because of the bribery, so to say. And the mother say, I don't care that my perfect child is thrown out because I mean he's perfect, he can be perfect, so to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Any other question? Yes?
4: late, but whatever I've I have a question from
1: Yes. So, I want
4: to ask that, how do we really cultivate authenticity by going through the stages of an art and ibrithi, and is it possible that going through the stages of an art and having the art and really mean to spend it?
0: Last part, because I didn't hear. Is it possible that going through the stages of an art and <laughs>
2: hmm All the Narthas make us authentic. Our, our own. Our own. Make us authentic.
0: Okay.
4: how mm-hmm. we mm-hmm.
0: Okay, okay. Okay, I'll say something in the sense of it's a question that deserves a one-week seminar or something. <laughs> yes, there's a lot to say about that. Because an artha nibriti. Translate the term for those who do not know it. Anartha British is kind of relinquishing all how to translate. Sometimes it's described as biases or... But anartha, technically speaking, and that's an, I, I take the time to describe that because it's important. Anartha. Artha means value. Anartha means false value. That's interesting. False value means I'm projecting a value in something that it has not value. So I have in this like misplaced sense of value. That's technically speaking an arta. So an in nebrithym is to get rid of all false senses of value. So we understand what's the real value. ultimately not only artha but paramartha. One name for prem for divine love is paramartha, which means the highest value, the ultimate value. So of course an means all the all the false sense of value that I need to get rid of so I can really appreciate what's the, the actual value of everything. <clears throat> and basically it has to do with, of course, everything has its value in connection to Krishna. And everything is in connection to Krishna. <laughs> so an art means that I'm seeing things not in connection to Krishna, but probably in connection to me as a center of reality. So an art means... An arthanibriti means removing this false sense of being the center and establishing who is the actual center. So yeah, authenticity is absolutely crucial because an arthanibriti is something that uh, I like to clarify, and I mentioned that also in my book. An arthanibriti is not a mere byproduct of bhajanakriya. Bhajanakriya means devotional practices. So an arthanibriti is not just okay chant. To give an example, I chant Hare Krishna and all my narthas go away, like automatically. And someday, oh, I'm in Golok down. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but anarthani means the willingness to be aware of which are the obstacles that I need to get rid of while engaging in practice. You follow? It's not that I just practice like mechanically Hare Krishna. No, I'm trying to be sensitive and authentic, honest about, okay, what's getting in the way of my practice today? And and accepting that, recognizing that, acknowledging that, and dealing with that. So trying to be aware, it may be painful sometimes, maybe may be humiliating, because there are so many things that still are, and remember, Krishna loves us unconditionally. <laughs> so that also gives hope in the midst of acknowledging, oh my gosh, I'm such a mess. No, oh I have still this I'm still envious I'm still praying to Krishna like a provider and I really don't care to provide whatever whatever may be the case not to over chastise us but just to be authentic in acknowledging where I am no I, I want to be as, as the saying goes I want to be I prefer to be hated for who I am than love for who I'm not no <laughs> So I want I want honesty. I want authenticity. Sadhu is another way of saying an authentic person. So, without authenticity, technically speaking, we stop being devotees. Sorry if it sounds a little bit too boom, Marash, you are too heavy, but it's like that. I mean, if if you think I can be a devotee without being authentic, good luck. No, I mean, what's that? I cannot call that a devotee. So authenticity and will take different forms, of course, because an artha will be with us all the way through bhava-bhakti. An artha Nibriti is not just, okay, first two weekends, <laughs> first three years, an artha Nibriti. then, no, no. Of course, there are degrees of an artist that we'll need to get rid of. Vishwanachaka Chakavar Thakur explains all that very detailed in his Madhurya Kadamini. I won't go now there. No? There are even an artist that came as a result of bhakti. Not that bhakti gives an arthas, but bhakti will give results that you can wrongly get attached to and that becomes an artha. And you didn't have that anartha before becoming a devotee. Imagine. For example, before becoming a devotee, to give you an example, you were struggling with an example. Doesn't need to be self-confession, no problem. <laughs>
2: Finance.
0: Sorry? Finance. Finance. But that's not so much of an art. I mean, you maybe have financial problems. You may be struggling with I don't know, drinking wine. Let's see that, no? And then you connect with bhaktas and that's no longer an issue by Krishna's mercy. I mean in some cases it may be, but in some cases. It may... So it's no longer an issue. So I don't have the art of drinking wine. Let's put it like that. And I become a very serious devotee and everyone starts to like me and I have to start to have followers and knowledge. And I start to become attached to that and proud. And now I have a new anarta that I didn't have before. And it's a more complex art, probably than drinking wine. <laughs> so that's that's... Very fine, no, that's in a stage of an art and that we start. We need to be because an artist in the beginning may be really gross, and we may think, as we say before, okay, breaking the four regulative principles. If you follow them, no an artist. No, no, it's not like that. <laughs> you can follow all of them, and because of follow all of them, you can create a new an artist. I follow all of the four regulative principles better than anyone else. That's an, an art. You follow my point so you can make an, an art of everything <laughs> on anything <laughs>
1: uh,
0: even if the, the the more paka you are as a practitioner the more reason you have to become proud of that so the more humble you need actually to be of course that's idea. <laughs> so it, it, the idea so the process becomes more and more challenging than art bec- not no less something bad it's something that requires more attention, more fine attention fine tuning, more authenticity because we can say okay I'm sincere now And that's great, I believe you. But there's no limit to how much sincere you can become. It's not that you are sincere or you are insincere. There are unending shades of both. (laughs) Probably we are sincere and we are insincere at the same time in different things. You follow my point? I I believe that you are sincere in this, this, this. But in some other things, even unconsciously, we may not be that sincere. (laughs) And, And being authentic means acknowledging that at least acknowledging the possibility of that, even when we are not seeing that, being open to probably that may be there. <coughs> not to go into neurosis that I know for sure that in the background of my unconscious, I am a monster. I'm not saying that. But just to be, I to say, open to. There may be a few things that I'm not seeing and eventually I need to see. And I want to be open to that. I don't want to be too sure about where I am because I'm not having the full picture yet. <laughs> so I think all that is, is means to be authentic. And and yeah our anartis regarding your second question, if I understood correctly, we can so to say use our anarchists to become more authentic. I mean, in the sense of some of our shortcomings may be Maybe humbling for us, maybe hum- may humiliate us, literally. <laughs> so you can take advantage for that, so to say, no? <laughs> And you are learning something from that. So we have also a more positive orientation. It's not so much like I need to get rid of this demon inside of me. Goodbye, get out of No, <laughs> but it's more like I'm having a, a distorted view of this, and I need to, to learn from this distorted view to be humble to change and acquire the proper view and that's it basically
3: mm-hmm.
0: I already gave one right
3: yeah. again okay anarta
0: yeah anarta means sometimes again they will use different words like contamination or like obstacle like tendencies now, sometimes will be described like tendencies that getting, sorry? Es una manera de hablar de eso, sí, tentación puede ser, pero hay diferentes opciones también, no uno puede estar apegado, no puede tener uh, a diferentes cosas sutiles, posición, etcétera, etcétera, ¿no? a, ver, a ponerse a uno en el centro en lugar de poner a Krishna en el centro, a ver todo alrededor mío concluyendo en mí en lugar de...
3: de lugar. Anyhow,
0: that's anarta. (laughs) Anarta means basically false value. I need to talk in English because too much Spanish will lose the whole audience. It's okay. We continue later. (laughs) Yeah, false value is a good definition. I hope that helps. Again, it's a two-week seminar. I'm just summarizing in a few minutes, but it's clear.
4: Yes. More to him, be
0: yeah of course it all begins with being honest with ourselves and hopefully we can be honest with others even in some like what Rupa Goswami will say reveal your mind in confidence sometimes implies extending okay I have this and our time is struggling with this situation and sharing that with someone else in confidence but you cannot do that if you are not honest with yourself to begin with And the more you honest you are with yourself, with others, also the more the anarta gets exposed, so to say, and the less strength it has inside your own mind. You follow my point? The more you expose those things that, because if if you have shame, and this happens many times, again, because of shame and guilt, we we hide all that stuff. And the more we hide them, the more strength they gain inside, the more they influence us. The more you expose those things, the more they cannot survive, basically. And that's how powerful it is to share your heart openly and confident with someone that knows how to receive your heart also. No? That's another thing. We are talking about being vulnerable, but you have to be vulnerable in front of someone who knows how to honor your vulnerability. Because if you are vulnerable in front of the wrong person, that person can abuse you. <laughs> so... But in front of the proper person, that vulnerability creates so much empowerment. And, and all the NARTAs and all the things becomes way more weak and weak and weak and weak. And so, yeah, very important. Something else before concluding? We have some time.
4: Yeah, the, no problem. Yeah. About being honest
0: about your undergraduates, then you can surrender to the lot and
4: saying, what you're so called. Then It actually deepens humility when you do more oneness mm-hmm. But where do you draw the line between I mean, just
0: focusing on oneness and can entering your us? We keep mentioning that. So how do we know when it's too much? Of- I, I lost
4: this last part. How do we know how when to it's so
0: too much? 100%. What? Just focusing on. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's what once Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati said. He gave one lecture called "From Oneness an and Humility to Artha Prabity." So, an arta nebriti means get rid of an arta, get rid of the undesirable things. An arta means obtaining the desirable. Because our practice is not negative, our practice is not about get rid of things, but acquire the positive value. You know, like I sometimes joke with devotees, sometimes devotees conceive their practice only in terms of following the, the four regulative principles. And they define those four in terms of not doing something. So that's not very healthy. Like if I ask you, so what's your practice about? And you will tell me, don't no meat eating, no intoxication, no, 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 no. And it's like, that's what you do? What you do is not doing some things. It's like, that doesn't sound too positive. <laughs> so we have even to learn to conceive those four in positive terms. It's not no meat eating. is even you, you, you can say no. It's non-violence. It's vegetarianism. No, it's not vegetarianism. It's ahimsa, non-violence. But non-violence is again, negative. <laughs> it's not non-violence. It's being loving and caring, and it's not being loving and caring. It's being as loving as caring as you can. That's the actual regulative principle. That's very different from saying no meat eating. No meat eating. Be as loving and caring as you can. Wow. There's like. But that's the, the full implication of that prayer. <laughs> there well, be no gambling. It's not about no gambling. It's about be as truthful as you can. I mean, you can that has no limit.
1: No?
0: Be as, as truthful as you can. Wow, that has nothing to do with don't go to the Mayapur casino that they are opening.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm testing the audience yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I th- we need to be, yeah, open in that connection. Sorry, in, 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 your, in relation to your thing, <coughs> my point is, yeah, there is a place for being trying to be aware of, of the anarthas that we are dealing at present. But, yeah, we should, I mean, I cannot tell you a formula like, this is like 23% of anarthas and is the right, depending on each case, situation, it will be differ- different. But you have to pay attention. We need to be introspective, vigilant, and see yeah, how much my practice <coughs> is being oriented by getting rid of stuff or actually loving Krishna, pleasing my guru, positively serving the Vaishnavas, how much you ha- one has to obs- observe oneself daily, how much my chanting, my everything, is oriented by a positive orientation. Why I'm chanting again? Yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't be so extreme. It's no taste
4: for the... You just
0: I didn't understand
4: the last but part. Yeah. sometimes to let go of things and you don't do that work because you see the yeah. Then to do the positive yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, as I said before, I, I will never use the word easy in this class. But it's not impossible. You say it's not. Easy. It's easy to do this from the comfort zone. I know it's tempting. And we may fall into that temptation hundred and eight times, and it's part of the journey also. So don't condemn yourself if you sometimes like, oh, I, I've been complacent again. I've been mediocre again. I've like, okay, that's part of the journey. Okay, let's go, move forward. Next, next, next try. Next attempt. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> because if you spend too much time like, oh, again, again, you go like. <laughs> Uh, but also, yeah, it won't be easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Not because in itself the practice is complicated. The says in the Gita Sushur Kam Kartum, bhakti is easy. We are the difficult ones. <laughs> bhakti is easy. We are so complex, so complicated. So we are now trying to uncomplicate ourselves. <laughs> and an arthanirity could be a way of describing it. what's an arthanirity? Uncomplicatedness. <laughs> trying to to become more simple at heart and integrate complexity in a proper way so it's not easy but by improper association with proper references in our life we will receive positive impact, inspiration uh, prospect and and we will be able to go through the challenges we may need to go through because of course I'm not here to sell you a cheap easy version of bhakti like "Ah, just do like this and Mm -hmm it will go without any problem no there will be lots of problems and obstacles and challenges but that's part of the that's part of life i mean let's be honest let's be realistic i mean tell me one life case that doesn't have that <laughs> and if you don't have that you will get bored quickly if everything is nice paka, happens like you will like you start to get nervous after some time. <laughs> Everything is too predictable. It's like I need some chaos here. I need some <laughs> Yeah, actually. Not because you're a masochist, just because there, that's part of the ingredients of, of life. There are obstacles, there are challenges. In Golag Brindan, there will be obstacles and challenges in its own way. So we are
4: sorry to
1: ask you that
0: how taste how what?
4: How to get that
0: taste? Taste for what?
4: Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm not doing more job I'm more reading, really more mm-hmm. I'm getting lost in
0: this aspect of Concentrate on all the positive things that you are receiving, for example. Because I'm, we are talking about offering something positive, practicing from a positive place. Well, maybe something that will give you inspiration, maybe, hopefully, not only you, all of us, is to concentrate how much positive content is already coming from your Guru Maharaj, from your husband, from your baby, from your friends, from your family, from Krishna, to to absorb, again, Krishna is loving me unconditionally. And that's way heavily positive content coming, despite all the negativity, so much unconditional love. So that should inspire some positive (coughs) reciprocation to that. So sometimes we need to, Maybe just sit and concentrate on these facts for a minute. If, if you say, Okay, I'm chanting not from a positive place, okay, stop your chanting, put pause, and think for a minute about how much Krishna is loving you unconditionally. Probably that will inspire you to continue chanting from a more whew, inspiring, <laughs> inspired inspired place. No. We have to be creative also in our sadhana, no? How to to get to places where we can like re, reboot the system, you know, like rediscover, upgrade, and, and, and return to the proper focus. Oh, wow, such, such a miracle is coming to my life. And I voluntarily choose to reciprocate to that, to celebrate that. And When, when I'm not feeling that, okay, that's a symptom. I need to, like the GPS said, recalculate. No, <laughs> you lost track, you lost sight of, okay, recalculating. And for that, we, we may sometimes we may not be able to do that ourselves. We may need to call some Vaishnav Sadhu. I'm losing sight of the positiveness of Krishna Bhakti. Help me. Remind me of all the beautiful things. And, and it, it may sound like embarrassing. No, how can I call someone and ask that person? Why not? That means to be authentic again. I'm in need. Like when someone asks Srila Sridhar Maharaj, Gurmash, what, what we do when we may feel at some moments in our life like bombarded by our nartas? And when we I don't have even time to think. It's like it's like what's happening. And he said, just run at the feet of some sadhu and and shout emergency, emergency shout for help. I mean, no time for thinking about anything. Just like help. Or of course, run means you may not be physically close to someone. Call the person immediately. Like it's an an emergency. And it's okay. One may say, oh, but I don't want to disturb the person. Yeah, I I get the point. But you are pretty much disturbed yourself to that point of an emergency case if the sadhu will understand. No. That's being authentic also. It's authentic. If you don't do that, you will repent. (laughs) Anyhow, some thoughts. We have time for one more question. So they, we have limitless time. Okay, that's good scope. Cool. <laughs> yes. You said that Krishna
4: loves
1: everybody,
4: and if you say something, how Krishna can love demons because he's really knows that he's like killing them.
0: Like that. So if I can say something on that. Well, one of the main... Also for us, also, because mm-hmm. it's difficult to to love somebody who is a complicated life, a power life, or that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Well, we can connect with what we...
1: Ju-
0: and we, we just. We were just connected. We were talking about Putana and Indra, who is not technically a demon, but he behaved pretty pretty Asuric uh, way in that moment and for example bhakti takur he will say all these asuras all these demons which demon is a tricky word also no? <laughs> by by the way because we always say demon who knows which idea each of us has in our mind about that no? demon I mean all these asuras according to Bakhkti takur are representing different anartas we're talking about the and nibriti we're talking about Putana and Asuras. So now we have this together. All the Asuras represent Anarthas. In other words, Putana on whomever it's inside of me. I mean, I'm not denying that that, that was a literal situation that happened. But at the same time, all these Asuric tendencies there are tendencies that I can have. If you study what Bhagavata say, and he, this demon, this demon, probably you will, we will feel tempted. Like I have that one. App, that one. <laughs> so my point is because demon doesn't mean a monster, externally speaking. It's a tendency. Asura. Asura. What does it mean? Asura. Asu means as soon as possible. Interestingly, even in English it sounds similar. As soon as possible. <laughs> like quickly, right now. Asu. And ra means ramante, enjoy. So Asura means, I want to enjoy as soon, as quick as possible. And I don't care for the consequences of that. Like irresponsible enjoyment. So the point is, how much I'm free from that. And, and, and if I choose to say, okay, therefore, by definition, I am an Asura. <laughs> but Christians is loving me unconditionally. Again, go back to that foundational point. Still, that—that's in one sense that would be the reply to the question: How Krishna loves demons? Well, <laughs> we don't have to go to any other example for outside of us, <laughs> because in one sense, some of those tendencies are still in us. Some of those still there is the divine current, but let's be honest. I mean, because sometimes we have this idea: Okay, he's a devotee. Sometimes I've heard even devotees say he's a devotee and he's a demon. Oh my gosh! I, Don't use those words. I don't even like the word karmi or even the word non-devotee. I mean, everyone is a devotee in potential. And you probably are not fully a devotee yet. (laughs) So how much I can call someone a non-devotee? Well, there is so many sections in me that are non-devotional yet. So first I have to address my own non-devotee. Devotee doesn't mean I have tilak and I have this fancy clothes, so I'm now a devotee. My Gurudev gave me a name. So yesterday I was non-devote and today I'm devotee. You know? Like black and white thing. There are so many grays between black and white. So that will be something. But if we want to go to the, the monstrous, monster-like demons of the Krishna Lila, the point that our Goswami made is like Krishna, unlike all, the, all his different avatars, whenever he kills a demon, he liberates them. So there you have unconditional love. I mean, he's killing them, but he's not actually killing them. He's giving them liberation. The killing is just an aspect of that. But the actual thing that's going on is all those asuras, as I gave the example of Putana. Technically speaking, he killed Putana. You could say, Krishna, that wasn't too loving, unconditionally loving. I mean, he obtained Vatsali ras. That's unconditional. (laughs) So... So that's how he's expressing unconditional love. He has to kill them because they are attacking his devotees, his, his Bhakta vatsala he's protecting his devotees, but it doesn't mean that he stopped loving those he's killing. That, that's the nature of un, uh, unconditional love. He has unconditional love for the brajavasis He has unconditional love for Indra, for Putana. But the way he interacts with them will be different according to their behavior. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't. He stops having that unconditional love. And that's shown by that way. Whomever Krishna kills, they are liberated. That's pretty loving, <laughs> basically. He's not just merely killing them. And what to speak with Mahaprabhu? To say that Krishna killed devotees, Mahaprabhu killed the Asuric mentality. Krishna killed Asuras personified. Mahaprabhu killed the Asuras the suric mentality in each of us, and gave prem indiscriminately to everyone, even to those who were not asking, whomever and to say that he gave prem to those who heard him chanting. And to, for those who heard him chanting and didn't got prem, Mahaprabhu <coughs> will, gla, will glance at them, and with his glance he will convey prem. And even for those who will escape Mahaprabhu's glance who were very expert in avoiding mercy, <laughs> he will run and embrace them. No. No no escape from this, no? So and again we are here as a byproduct of such unconditional love. So just... she she had a question first. You had a question, right? Yeah. Sorry. I'm not really sure how if I can word it properly, but um I we could, even if we
4: even just theoretically, understand that Christian loves us no matter what. Still, because we want to be a part of society, we also want to be accepted by people in the society. We want to be a part of the group, we want to have friends. And um, I feel very often that, you know, I'm afraid to be really myself in this kind of religious institution where people judge you and they also gossip. And the standard that, that a lot of people have like judging me, like are you or not? It's like really high. And I don't know, which makes it a little bit intimidating to open up. And I'm just wondering how, you know, how can we get past that? Mm. Um, recently, I've been more and more thinking about it because, you know, just you know, just come to terms with my own conditioning and just knowing that I can't I can't be there and I I'm not gonna pretend and Great. Uh, so but also at the same time I feel like I uh, maybe more in my part because the Bengali Bengalis are so like you know high standard <coughs> it's just something that makes me feel a bit insecure to be myself. Do you have anything to
0: Thank you for the authenticity of exposing your situation, which is not, which is not only your situation. I I must say because let's be honest, no, who is and he? Who who is in a different situation? Every every one of us want to be part, as you mentioned, of a group, of a family, to belong, to belong, uh, and sometimes, especially when if we are in a, in a very big, I mean. I assume you are connected with ISCOM, so that's a pretty big institution. Uh, And different things can happen in something very big, of course. (laughs) Whenever something gets very big, you will have a lot of everything. Not to criticize, just to the nature of something getting very big. And, And in my personal opinion, I will say that in those cases where you find, okay, people take different stances, different people doing different things, you have to find your your group within the group, so to say. Because officially you may be affiliated to a big mission with millions of, but you cannot just like open yourself to million, one million people. (laughs) You cannot just be fully vulnerable with every single member of the institution because it's, it's not what I'm saying either. So we need to find our flock of intimate birds that of the same feather that flock together. And those may be one. <laughs> you are pretty lucky if you found one. If you find more than one, you can count, wow, congrats, great. But one, that you can really be fully yourself that you have nothing to hide from that person. That's not easy. That's not impossible again. So we you shouldn't lose hope. <laughs> But, of course, we shouldn't, again, expose ourselves cheaply, quickly, because I want to be accepted. That will end up in, uh, is it like what I call emotional prostitution, basically. You are prostituting your own emotionality and just opening in the, in the wrong places and being mistreated. And you follow my point, right? So, So we need to fully be ourselves. And, again, not everyone may be ready to, to take the time to accept us. To take the time to know us, to take the time to enter into our shoes, be empathic with us, understand us. Many times people say, I don't have time for that. Hmm. Okay? Well, Krishna still loves you unconditionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that's your that's not my that's not my tribe, no? So I think we have that's what Rupa Goswami said when he describes Sadhu Sangha in Rupa Bhakti Sindhu, he qualifies sadhu sanghas, Two words, three words, two of them is uh, Sajatiya and which means with like minded people and with affectionate people. Sadhu Sangha. Sadhu Sangha doesn't mean social convention, doesn't mean we are in a place with 300 devotees and we had Sadhu Sangha, hopefully, but probably not. Sadhu Sangha Rupa Goswami describes when fourth verse of Upadishambrita, pretty pritil, pretty lakshanam, interaction of affection, mm-hmm. revealing your mind, sharing your heart, etc. and so on. So yeah, I mean I will encourage you or anyone to of course try to be part and open and be yourself, but <coughs> but being how to say
2: uh,
0: not being naive about that and being mature enough as to know I cannot do that anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> So I have to find my, my tribe, so to say. And again, the tribe may be one more, two more. That's community already. Community doesn't mean a big, massive gathering of people. Community is common unity, community. You know? and, 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 and if you can find one person that you can be totally transparent and honest and, and receive the same from that person, that's like, wow, super empowering. That's that's topmost sadhu Sangha. And you totally love and affection.
3: What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you yeah, if you are willing to be honest with yourself, for sure that will attract some other honest people. Honesty attracts attracts honesty, let's put it like that. And probably the great majorities of any group won't fit with that. If you start to become too honest and too authentic, many people will be repelled by that. Not to condemn them, to judge them. It's just in their own stage, that's too much for them. <laughs> and it's okay. That's their stage. I've, I've gone through that, let's put it like, I'm not higher, it's just each one's stage. In my particular stage, I need to be myself. I need to be honest and transparent because of my personal need. And I need to find an environment that will nourish that. I need to be in a safe Space where I can be fully vulnerable, and and I'm safe. I'm protected. I can. First, we need to create some safe space for that. Because if I don't feel safe, I won't be fully vulnerable. No. So first, we need to to obtain that reassurance in connection to people that we feel, wow, yes, I can be myself. Not only I can be myself, but I'm start. I, I in those moments, I become more of what I am. I am myself and I'm becoming empowered to become all that I can be. <laughs> no, my, my fullest potential. But it, my fullest potential begins by acknowledging fully who I am now. <laughs> because I'm here and I would like to be here, but to be here, first I have to acknowledge <clears throat> I'm here. And acknowledge that in full detail <laughs> with full acceptance. So, so again, that may not happen in a, in a big group, but in a small group within the big group that's what journalists that's how it works okay we are two hours already so i think we can stop here and digest a little bit what we shared and reflect hopefully and we will continue sharing these days and you can concrete i will be announcing next day so we will be sharing soon so it's reset. She's such an Hari hariki jai, she's yeah. she go nitinan the keja, she had in arms and kirtan keja, gold bakta brin the keja, gold briman, one yeah. chuckle patarubi and dopey, but chavati tanam for one if Ananta Koti Vashna brin the keja, yeah. gold a hribu.